This is Keep Up. I'm your host, Cynthia Dill. With me in the studio today is Renee Bunker. Welcome, Renee Bunker. Good morning. Well, it's a pleasure to have you in the studio, and I appreciate your being here to provide some expertise in an area of federal law that you have, well, first of all, You've been a federal prosecutor for over 25 or 20 years, correct? About 21 and a half years. 21 and a half years, uh, practicing law in both Maine and California, right? That's correct. Now, um, you also, in your earlier years, were a, you were a gymnast, <laughs> an NCAA Division I school scholarship recipient. I was. I was at Penn State. I'm retired now, though, from those crazy Retired activities. from both. But right. I was thinking... Um, as a transition into um, the discussion about the, the Hatch Act, you do need some contortionist moves to figure out whether or not federal employees violate the Hatch Act in this political environment. And specifically, I want to talk to you today about Kelly Ann Conway. So, um, first of all, when you worked as a federal prosecutor, did the Hatch Act affect you on a day to day basis? Is it something that you thought about? It certainly, we were well trained in the Hatch Act, and at least in the offices where I have worked, we took it seriously. And um, yes, there was a concerted effort, particularly we often um, got multiple memos a year, particularly around campaign and election season, reminding us of our Hatch Act obligations to refrain from engaging in political activity while on the job or um, in our official capacity or using our official title along those lines. Now, when I looked at the Hatch Act, it seems the policy was to protect employees also to uh, have the right to engage in the political process as well as the right not to engage in the politi political process. What's your understanding of the purpose of the Hatch Act? I think, it, my understanding, again, I'm not a Hatch Act expert by any means, but I too have read some of the history of the Hatch Act, and I think it's twofold at least twofold, that yes, it was um, one of the purposes is to ensure that, for instance, supervisors aren't unlawfully or inappropriately directing their underlings to go engage in political activity for one side or the other. And the other driving purpose was to, I, I noted the history, the Hatch Act was enacted in 1939, as you probably know as well, and I thought it was in, interesting in reading the history of the Hatch Act, that it was proposed by a senator, a Democratic senator, Carl Hatch, from New Mexico at the time. And it was proposed by him on the heels and the wake of Democrats, not as a retaliation to Republican um, employees' conduct, but Democrats um, having been used, having been, um, having used federal employees, I think it was the Works Progress Administration, a New Deal agency, having used Democratic federal employees to game the system and gain an unfair advantage in the 1938 midterm elections, which then um, prompted the Hatch Act, and which was then signed by President Roosevelt. And as I, I think the newspapers have been generally reporting, people generally think of the Hatch Act as a prohibition from federal employees using their official capacity to influence politics. Um, and it's been applied to both sides of the political aisle. There's been Democrats accused of violating the Hatch Act. I saw that um, 
Kathleen Sebelius was one, Josh Ernst was another. But today's political environment is so charged because of the unique uh, way in which the president uses social media and just kind of politicizes almost everything. Um, Kellyanne Conway has been accused by the Office of Special Counsel of violating the Hatch Act. Is that your understanding? Correct. Now, what do you understand the basis to be for the special counsel, the accusations and, and the reporting in that respect? I, I want to make one, back up a little, make one comment to the comment that you made, and which I am in complete agreement with, is that this is really not a partisan issue. I mean, originally, it was not a partisan issue. The Hatch Act applies equally to Democrats, Republicans, Independents. Green Party candidates, whoever may end up in the White House or any federal employee job. It's really um, an issue of integrity and fairness among the federal workforce and for and on behalf of, I think, the um, those everyone who the federal government serves. As for the uh, special counsel's report, as you know, I think there were two. Um, and one was in March of 2018, where the special counsel identified two interviews, 227 interviews, during which Ms. Conway had advocated for the defeat of Doug Jones and for the election, or impliedly for the election of Roy Moore in the uh, 2018 special election of uh, the Alabama special election for U.S. Senate. The newer, <clears throat> excuse me, the June 2019 report that the Office of Special Counsel, Counsel has issued identified 10 interview um, or interviews or press conferences from 2019 during which Ms. Conway had engaged in, um, in her official capacity. There's often a, a, a cryon, um, or a, a, Chiron, a, yeah. Chiron, yeah. and I oh, try to say it, right. You know, there's the, the panel, the banner introduced, they're often, she's often introduced in her official capacity and title, and she's identified and um, as counselor to the president, and often these interviews involve both legitimate um, discussions about her, um, about substantive issues and her the opioid crisis or the border security, tax reform, et cetera. But the Office of Sub the OSC, OSC, I'll call it, um, identified 10 interviews from 2019 during which Ms. Conway engaged in um, pol political activity in violation of the Hatch Act, according to the uh, special counsel by commenting or advocating against declared candidates for the 2020 presidential presidential election um, for or against for Mr. Trump's declared candidacy for the for re-election. The council also identified 15 Twitter posts from October and November of 2018, where Ms. Conway used her at Kellyanne Polls Twitter account, which is a personal account, but the um, report notes that she uses that account predominantly for official, legitimate White House government work on the taxpayer's dime. She also, in 2018, just before those midterm elections, was tweeting um, campaign-related matters on her at Kellyanne Polls account. The OSC's recent report also, in addition to those 15 posts, identified seven additional tweets or retweets, um, campaign-related tweets or retweets where, um, from 2019. 
from about February into May, where she again was engaging in political activity. And to be clear, this isn't Robert Mueller, right? This is the Office of Special Counsel, but it's not the Special Counsel's office that's been in the news and associated with Robert Mueller. Correct. That can be very confusing. Now, Good point. the Office of Special Counsel issued these two reports, which you've just described, and um, the White House responded, I think just in some saying that there wasn't due process because she didn't have notice and making the case that the Office of Special Counsel doesn't have the authority to issue regulations of social media. Um, but setting aside like the, the legal arguments for, for a moment, do you agree based on the characterization of, of Kellyanne Conway's conduct that there was a violation or do you think that it's still left to be determined, that a further investigation is necessary. Do you think we have enough facts to, to make it a, a conclusion about that? I think, I guess three quick comments. I think that um, the, the threshold question, which folks are asking, and I think Congress may address um, in pending legislation or not, maybe it'll become bipartisan effort, but um, the threshold question is, does the Hatch Act apply to these high-level political appointees? The Office of Special Counsel has, um, before all of this Kellyanne Conway stuff came up, had issued opinions that White House office federal employees are just like other federal employees and that the only two who are exempt from the Hatch Act are the president and vice president. Those reports from the um, special counsel Kerner, they detail, um, to your second question, yes, I, I do think they establish about, they detail direct quotes. We're in a different age here. It's not a he, he said, she said. They detail direct quotes from Kellyanne Conway's um, interviews, recorded interviews, and from her um, posts on that Twitter account, Ms. Conway's um, repeated, and uh, I agree with the counsel's report, e egregious, um, and ongoing engagement of political activity in her official capacity, beginning in 2017 and going right up through, I think the last one is May 7th of this year. Why do you think, first of all, why do you think that the Hatch Act excludes the president and the vice president from its prohibition on engaging in political activity in your official capacity? Why do you think, do you have any sense of why there's an exemption for the president and the vice president? They, I haven't, I haven't researched it, in, gone into the weeds to that extent, but they are as high as it goes, and they are, I, yeah, I think they, they are a political office. And I think what, I think the countering that the, the the thrust of the Hatch Act really, and I think the Supreme Court makes some good comments on this in a case called Letter Carriers, is a judgment about a century ago by this country that says that federal employees, excepting the president and vice president, who who again are perhaps arguably permissibly always sort of campaigning on what they've campaigned on before, but federal employees. Um, restrictions on their salaries paid by the taxpayers, regardless of Republican, Democrat, Independent, they are, their influence on our partisan political elections should be limited. Um, and I think the Supreme Court talks about that. And I think that um, the special counsel Kerner's report talks about that, that um, it goes to the heart of our democracy, really, in terms of protecting our separating those two things, so the, the, the money and the efforts that go into re-electing partisan, or electing, sorry, partisan political officials, and the money that goes into the efficient and fair and integrity-filled 
operation of our federal government on behalf of all people who yeah. it serves. It's interesting, too, um, that another way to look at the Hatch Act when I was doing some reading in preparation of this interview is to protect um, general citizens from being deprived equal services in government for their own political affiliation. So it seems to me the Hatch Act goes both ways. It, it, you know, it prevents federal employees from using their position to influence elections, but also protects people from having federal employees using their political influence to, you know, just run, run the government. But so here's my question: Assuming that you're right and that the special counsel's office is right, that there has been a violation. The statute has a penalty section that says she can, and I'm summarizing, that she could face removal or termination, suspension, or a, a fine not to exceed $1,000. No jail time, right? Would, jail is not a consequence. Is, do you agree with that? I think maybe I misheard you, but I think one of the issues that's out there now, um, I, I, I found compelling one of the other things in um, Council Kerner's report was that the OSC has never, in its history, it was um, created in 1978, so in 40 plus years, that office has never had to issue two reports to the President of the United States regarding hatchback violations concerning the same person. So this is unprecedented, and the problem that, that now exists, and I think there's Congress, I know there's um, legislation pending in Congress to try and address this, is the Office of Special Counsel does not have jurisdiction to apply those penalties that you just talked about against high-ranking political, I think their Title III is the preference I keep seeing, type appointees such as Kellyanne Conway, which is why the only thing the OSC could do at this juncture with regard to a Kellyanne Conway, Ms. Conway, was to recommend that the president fire her, whereas if that were me, I'd probably be gone by now. I mean, I'm, I'm no longer with the federal government, but if that were... Because well, they're question, so egregious, and they've been going on for so long that I can't imagine an ordinary, even high-level, you know, supervisor or lower-level federal employee um, who had engaged in half of what Ms. Conway had engaged in wouldn't have been sanctioned by the Merit Systems Protection Board. So now. that so that's what I'm trying to get at. So assuming it was you, Renee, uh, you know, oh, let's not assume. <laughs> <that>. <laughs> All right, <laughs> Just, somebody else yeah, violated the Hatch Act in another lower-level capacity in a U.S. attorney's office. Who is it that does the enforcing? Is it the person in charge, in this case, Halsey Frank, you know, the, the head federal prosecutor here in Maine, or is it like a human resources type thing? Do you know? I mean, who is it that generally enforces these laws against federal employees? I know, based on my own experience, not for having violated the Hatch Act, but each office, um, I, I think each U.S. attorney's office has, and we did, and we do here in um, the District of Maine, has an ethics advisor and or ethics point person. And that person would typically be the person, the first go-to person, if somebody had a complaint about an employee engaging in um, unlawful political activity in violation of the Hatch Act. Of course, that person can be jumped over because, at least within the department, we also have an Office of General Counsel in Washington, and, and we frequently, in a variety of contexts, not just um, ethics-related things, sexual harassment, anything, we can um, encourage our employees also, if they don't feel comfortable going to the point of contact person within their own office for whatever reason, um, could be politically related, who knows, that they can go to the Office of General Counsel within the department. And I, uh, 
am confident they could also go directly to the Office of Special Counsel um, to lodge complaints through various channels. But, but ultimately the person who, what I'm trying to get at is if Kellyanne Conway has been accused by the Office of Special Counsel of violating the Hatch Act, and it sounds like you agree that she has in fact violated the Hatch Act, but there's no real enforcement mechanism at this point because the only person who could really remove her is the President of the United States, and he's exempt from the Hatch Act, and he's come out in support of Kellyanne Conway. So is there anything to prevent her from just continually violating the Hatch Act, as far as you can see? It just seems like it's, it's kind of a... Under current law, it's, it's disconcerting. Uh, that, and that is what the, um, I think it's called the Presidential Appointments Accountability Act, um, recently introduced last month in the House. It's actually, I read one article where it's bicameral. I know Senator Blumenthal has supported it, come out in support of it as well, and it attends to, um, it aims to address those loopholes that um, without running into problems with the appointments clause. So there is, under current law, I think your assessment is correct, which is why folks are moving in Washington on um, efforts to close those loopholes where it appears that the highest level political appointees can continuously and relentlessly, and, and, and not everybody is doing that, but, but there's no teeth. The Office of Special Counsel doesn't have the teeth for that type of appointee to enforce the Hatch Act with any sort of meaningful sanction um, or suspension or fines, like you mentioned, that would apply to ordinary federal employees. Now, in light of the uh, uh, Special Counsel's report and um, and other things. The House Oversight Committee has first invited Kellyanne Conway to testify and she refused. And now um, the, the House Chair has said publicly that he would issue a subpoena to mandate her appearance before Congress and give testimony. Um, if you were advising her, would you advise her to respond to the subpoena and show up and testify? Oh, Cynthia, that's a rough one. I, I I would advise my client to comply with the law. I think we, this is going to, going to circle back both, I think, in the political arena, and maybe it'll go back up to the Supreme Court. We have two cases upholding the Hatch Act prohibitions, one stricter than these, in my opinion, um, earlier versions of the Hatch Act, um, in a 1940-something case and the 1973 case. So maybe this will circle back up, but I think what her counselor, her attorney might be arguing, and I'm just speculating here is that the Hatch Act doesn't necessarily apply to those types of um, political appointments at, at that high level, which is unfortunate because it sets up a double standard. I think another argument is a president could be setting an example or his highest or her highest level political officials operating in their official capacity on the taxpayer's dime um, should be, even if the Hatch Act doesn't apply by letter to them, that as a matter of integrity and ethics, that they, like every other federal employee, should not be engaging in political activity in their official capacity, and particularly while on the taxpayer's dime. So I, I think... Right. One thing that occurred to me when I was um, looking at the various stories and the reporting is that, as you mentioned earlier, when she's appearing on television, um, and the Chiron, or however you pronounce it, is across the screen identifying her by her official capacity. That's not something that she herself has control over. Like, 
it seems to me it's it's one thing to say you cannot engage in political activity if you're wearing a uniform or if you're in a government vehicle or if you're in your public office. But um, it, it seems like some things are a little bit gray, and especially when it comes to the social media. Now, she's had her Twitter account, this Kellyanne Polls, prior to her ever being involved in the presidential um, campaign. She was President Trump's campaign manager before she was the special counselor. And prior to her, um, you know, really, she had a private job working as a pollster. And um, she makes the case, or at least the White House makes the case for her in its response to the special counsel's report that, look, um, the Office of Special Counsel can't regulate social media. That's beyond the scope, and that this is her exercising her First Amendment rights. Is this really what it's about? Is it a balance of Kellyanne Conway's First Amendment rights with the public's right to not have the government corrupt? Is that what sort of the, the courts, do you think, are going to be looking at going forward? Is this, does this have anything to do with Kellyanne Conway's First Amendment rights in your mind? I think, uh, let me comment on the whole, it's not up to her whether that banner applies. I think what I've seen is the Office of Special Counsel taking a totality of the circumstances approach and looking at that in those interviews she has introduced in her by her official title. Um, those interviews, many if not all of the ones identified, they involve both official activities and conversations about border security, tax reform, the economy, and then she often unprompted, um, sometimes egged on by the um, hosts or reporters themselves, um, she takes the bait and circles right into campaign-related um, dialogue. So I, I don't think it's just that gyron that has has dictated this. It's, it appears to me to be more of a totality of circumstances as to whether this was a, an interview or a performance in her official capacity where she was in the White House on the White House you know lawn, etc. As to your um, other, and, and that reminded me of Julian Castro was another example in 2016. He was, under Obama, he was the um, HUD secretary, and he too made the argument initially, he made some statements that Mr. Trump was unfit for president during the election, that his better, the better pick was um, Hillary Clinton, and he made the argument initially that uh, he had told Kitty Couric that he took off his HUD hat. And the <laughs> OSC said, mm-mm that these dual, and he had actually also discussed HUD-related matters in the same interview. So I think to the extent there's overlapping there, the OSC, I think, has appropriately so, supportably so, said you can't do those dual purposes. So then that gets to your your comment about Ms. Conway using that at Kellyanne Poll's account for years, which she has, the and First Amendment rights. The OSC has itself a five-part test to determine when private social media accounts um, are to be considered a platform. Um, and it's whether you're using it also for public-related official duties, um, how much do you how much do we even use it for personal-related activities. And they found that Ms. Connell uses that Twitter account for, um, predominantly, for official-related businesses, I mean, uh, her duties. First Amendment, of course, it's always a concern. It's it, it, it's um, always part of the analysis, and it's an important amendment. And at the same time, the First Amendment rights are not even absolute for the general citizenry. And the first, not the First Circuit, the Supreme Court has twice upheld the Hatch Act, 
and as I think I mentioned earlier, um, Hatch Act restrictions that were then, I, th I think, strict, uh, stricter than the ones that the OSC is attempting to enforce here um, against First Amendment challenges. And I think that goes, it's the Miller case was in the 1940s, and the letter carrier's case is in the 1973 opinion. And it, go it goes to that, it's always a balancing test. And it goes to balancing the individual's First Amendment rights. They're always in the analysis against what uh, Congress in 1939, and the Supreme Court has at least twice, found are um, compelling um, public interests in ensuring that public employees paid by the public fisc are not engaging in political activities. Um, so yeah, there, there's a balance, balancing there that so far, at least two times, has come out on the side of enforcing upholding the Hatch Act. I mean, who knows? That could change. We have a very different Supreme Court now. Um, well, that, yeah. Okay, so let's talk about that. The Supreme Court was recently asked um, to decide a case involving the President's Twitter account. Or no, not the Supreme Court. It's going to eventually get to the Supreme Court about whether the use of the President's Twitter account, if he can deny followers, if that's a violation of people's, you know, um, First Amendment rights. Do you see the composition of the Supreme Court having anything to do with the Hatch Act or restrictions on political speech going forward, or do you think it's not really an issue that's going to be um, conservative versus liberal when it gets to that level? It, 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 in other words, I'm, what I'm trying to get at is this: is this an issue, the Hatch Act, as far as you can tell, an issue like abortion and some of these other issues where people anticipate a split between conservative justices and liberal justices? I would love to remain optimistic and circle back to in, if there's ever an issue among issues that is not partisan, it's the Hatch Act. It, it applies to Republicans and Democrats. We don't know who's going to be in that White House again. Um, we don't know what party is going to be in that White House again. I mean, we can all speculate, but that's all that is, is speculation. I would, optimistic side of me, um, wants to believe that there will be, in fact, Republicans who are equally concerned about the path we're on right now in the Senate and the House right now that will agree that this is a nonpartisan issue and that we need to get some of these loopholes straightened out um, and, and they'll be tinkering. I'm sure that's what bipartisanship is all about. Um, but I, I don't know where the Supreme Court is going to come down. I just, I haven't, and I haven't researched enough. I mean, social media is going to continue to press constitutional issues on a number of fronts. Um, it's, it's a moving target. Um, but As a federal, now you were a federal prosecutor for over 20 years, and, and at some time, you know, some of those years you were the chief appellate officer. Um, I'm not sure if that's the right title, but maybe you weren't in the courtroom necessarily prosecuting criminals, but you were taking important cases on appeal. Um, in that capacity, did you have any social media presence, or did you feel like you really couldn't I, do much online? I have, there's a spectrum, clearly, as with most um, mm -hmm. issues. I opted to take a, the lower end of the spectrum, and I didn't even go up on LinkedIn until recently um, when I left the federal government. But but it doesn't mean, I, I think Ms. Conway made a comment that the special counsel is telling her to put masking tape over her mouth or something. That's not true. That That's not what the OSC report says, and that's not what the Hatch Act requires. People can go up on Facebook, and, and you can, um, in fact, the, the OSC's report 
notes that Ms. Conway can keep her at Kellyanne Twitter account, um, polls account, um, and she could continue using it for official business. If she chooses to do that, she needs to take down the political stuff, and she needs to stop campaigning on in her official capacity. Or she could do what a lot of us do, is you have two different accounts. You have your government email account, or you have your um, government phone, and you have your private phone. Um, you have your government iPad and your private laptop. And so the importance, and we were always, in my opinion, I've, I felt well advised um, in terms of what was allowed. And we were discouraged to engage in work-related material on our public sites. That doesn't mean you can't say what you did. Um, I mean, I, I take that back. We have repeatedly been discouraged from commingling the political activity and personal views along those lines with any work-related activity. That doesn't mean plenty of folks have LinkedIn accounts. Um, they're upstanding ethical people, and they and mention they vote. and they vote and they mention what they do substantively on behalf of the federal government. And my understanding is that's entirely appropriate. Um, so, do you think that uh, Kellyanne Conway is going to appear before the House? I'm not optimistic. On that. We've seen this sort of play out with subpoenas go out and folks don't show up and, you know, there'll be discussions about contempt, I would imagine, and I don't know which path that will all go down, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't put a paycheck on it. If she's subpoenaed by the House um, committee and doesn't show up for that subpoena, then that would be a civil contempt violation? Do you know? I don't know off yeah. the top of my head. Mm. No, I think it's punishable by imprisonment. I think it's like up to a certain amount of, it doesn't mean anybody would send her to prison, a fine and up to X, like a misdemeanor. I'm completely guessing, I'm going from memory, that it's punishable by up to some certain number of days in prison as well, which would rings criminal, but. Um, I think that's what's gonna be really interesting yeah. is because she's so defiant and the president is so defiant when it comes to these Hatch Act accusations um, but now that it's a different forum it's no longer just the special counsel recommending to the president that she be terminated and asking her to stop violating the law it's the house committee you know serving a subpoena on her right. and so we'll see yeah and I'll have to go research whether that's civil or, or criminal because I'm not sure don't hold me to that I have to well good we'll have that. to have you back yeah well Great. Renee Bunker thank you so much for joining me thank you for inviting me my pleasure